When you know that you are queer, but your favorite drink is beer, that's gayish. You can bottom without stopping, but you can't stand going shopping, that's gayish. Oh, gayish, you're probably gayish. Well, life's just too short for narrow stereotypes, so it's gayish. We're also gayish. It's gayish with Mike and Kyle. Hello, everyone in the podcast universe. This is Gayish, the podcast that puts the P in in Homo sapien. <laughs> Put that P in. <laughs> oh, I was thinking more uh, a water sports hitch, but I like yours better. Oh, uh, I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz. <laughs> We're here to bridge the gap between sexuality and actuality. We're and back in the studio. Today, yeah, Kyle. Oh, Mike. I don't know how to be excited about this because there's like. It's just it's just you and me and like a couple of houseflies in this no one, room. Like no one's cheering for us. Yeah, it's very it's very different energy. Yeah, it is. Um, thank you for Mike for planning our live show, all our tours and stops. Thanks for anyone who showed up and supported us. Thanks for the folks that couldn't go but said you know come to this city and <laughs> but felt bad about it. <laughs> uh, thank you for all the guilt you feel. <laughs> I can feel that over the, I can feel that guilty energy and it fuels me. Um, No, it it was really great. It was nerve wracking, anxiety inducing, but awesome. And uh, we got to meet people and we got to do our show in front of people. People showed up. That was fun. So yeah. 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 How'd you feel about it? You did all the, all the work for it. It was good. It was a roller coaster. Yeah. You know, um, I'm going to buy a new laptop. That's for goddamn sure. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Patreon. Thanks, Patreon. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was great. It's always, um, it's, it's fun to be in front of people. Like that's part of my like constitution anyway, is like music and drama and, yeah. and shit like that. So, yeah, yeah. uh, it, it, it's also, it's very, very interesting. I, I know you share this observation to see when we're doing our show live, we hear people laugh mm. and we're like, we know what they laugh at. Yeah, and yeah. perhaps more importantly, we know what they don't. laugh at. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. 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 It's, it, and it's interesting. Cause I, um, I mean, we both listen, but I do very light editing, but I still listen to make sure like before I, you know, I post to make sure we, uh, shit sounds okay. And, yeah. uh, listening to i would not listen to myself otherwise the idea of listening to myself perform live is horrifying but a good practice and i learned shit and yeah yeah that's interesting yeah um and a special thank you to the guy who came up to me after the portland show and said i have social anxiety but i'm like made myself like come here and said i would do a gaze straightest that's the coolest thing when people are like i'm damaged too but your help but it's helpful and like people that come up and talk to me and i automatically know that we both have social anxiety it's like yeah. we can just both be like oh this is gonna be awkward and i'm gonna sound weird or you're gonna sound weird or we're both gonna sound weird and we we're just both fucking over it you know yep. it's like when you yep. talk to someone else who's depressed and you're just like i don't have to explain to you yeah. th- this whole thing we can just do do our awkward interaction that we both end up enjoying but feel weird about it. i i i that was that was a highlight for me good yep yep, yep. are we gonna do more we haven't talked about this ourselves yeah hey let's let's, let's talk about it now let's talk know. about it now uh i would very much like to the thing is like we we, we precluded our tour on our success on Patreon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've not yet met our benchmark for doing mm-hmm. a tour, so I don't feel obligated yet. We've not committed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 would love, I would love to. And, I, I, and Patreon's the only reason we could do what we've done already, because... Right. 
we yeah it costs us money to go to places to like yeah it's it's only because of patreon that we can even do what we've done so yep absolutely yeah i hope we can do more yeah me too good good to know uh do you want to get to the episode sure we're going to talk about flight attendants well yeah because of Patreon. wow patreon thanks patreon this is this is all for you once a month we do an episode where we put up three topics and then have all of our gap bridgers vote on it and uh this month it was flight attendants Mm -hmm. and the white party which is just happening in a few weeks and brunch brunch so this time brunch and flight attendants tied so we had to go to the tie-breaking poll yeah yeah that was dan uh fucking dan started the tie-breaking poll to help for these scenarios and i thought it was a great idea and also didn't know we've come across this more than i thought there's such a small number of the gap bridgers that we've gone to the yeah so the tiebreaker poll is the one that won it yeah uh so we're talking about flight attendants but also what we're going to start doing or, or leaning a little bit more on is the uh, Patreon episode. The full episode that's going to come out this month is going to be the uh, episode topic that tied in the Gap Bridger poll, which is brunch. So brunch is going to be the uh, bonus episode if you have $5 per month. Yep. So if you want brunch, just we're going to have one. Egg me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but first. Yeah, but first, here's the news. Shut your mouth hole, it's time for your ear holes. News, 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 news the first. So... Do you feel like a little bit of a sellout that you're drinking your own beer while you record this? No. Oh, you... Oh, you, you I feel <laughs> magical and powerful. Okay, okay, cool. Okay, <laughs> that's the, probably the right... So we got the gayish beer that we did with with uh, Hop Capital Brewing, and it's it's our Kiwi Mango Blonde Ale... And I, 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 I got two cases of it and it's been in the refrigerator. And at first I had this, like, I was so proud. I I was so, so happy. And then I realized about day two or three that like two cases of beer takes up so much room in my fridge. Like I, I need it to start going away so that I can like have vegetables okay. or, 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 yeah. Or different beer or different beer. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, okay. I'm drinking it. Anyway, okay, news. News. News the first. I know you already are familiar with this. At least I think you are. Gay porn star Stephen Miles, known professionally as Sergeant Miles, has been arrested for his involvement in the January 6th Capitol insurrection. No, I don't know about this. Okay, great. Well, so there's a gay porn performer and director who is also an Army veteran joined the group that marched from a Donald Trump rally to the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. before storming the building in a violent insurrection and assault on democracy. Do you recognize it? Do you know who he is from January porn? 6th. Um, I, he, looks, he looks vaguely familiar in a, like, I don't know, you'd let him choke you probably. Oh, yeah. Kind of like, he's got <laughs> arms over his head and they look incredible, but, yeah. like... <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently, he's... a. A Trumpster. Wow. Gays for Trump, right? Gays for Trump. Yep. <laughs> you don't look gay, except he looks gay. <laughs> um, um, 
According to court documents, quote, Miles marched in a group to the Capitol, eventually making his way to the restricted grounds of the west front of the building. While there, he and other rioters engaged in a confrontation with police officers who were protecting the Capitol. I think, sorry, you meant to say they were engaging in legitimate political discourse. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. violently attacking our nation's Capitol is just discourse. Yeah. Yeah, it's just just conversation. It's patriotism. Yeah, sure. Yeah, when it's white people, it's patriotism. Uh, apparently, during this confrontation, Miles shoved and attempted to punch police officers. Uh, quote, he then made his way up the staircase to the Upper West Terrace of the Capitol. At approximately 2.13 p.m., other rioters smashed in a window on one of the Senate wing doors. A handful of people then entered the building through the broken window and opened the Senate wing door. Meanwhile, other rioters, including Miles, continued to smash the window on the other side of the Senate wing door. He smashed a plank of wood into the window and then entered the building through that broken window. He briefly walked through the building and then exited through another door. He's been charged with assaulting, resisting, or impeding officers, civil disorder, engaging in physical violence in a restricted building or grounds with a dangerous weapon, and related offenses. Um, yeah. I, like... <laughs> Just gay porn stars were there too. Like, I, I make that make sense, Kyle. It's it's insane. Well, it's it's so crazy about. I don't know. You're you're making money off of us, and also there there's. It's not as direct as it could be, but there's this tie of you're making money off of being a. Wait, is he gay? Do we know if he's gay himself or this is, is a gay great for question? Pay? I don't. But like, you're making money off of us. And then you're, you know, whether gay or not, and then you're also supporting a person who is directly harming yeah. the community that is one of the sources of your income. And that, uh, that you know, it, I guess if you look across porn, you know, there's some going to be some percentage that so support Trump because that's just how numbers and, you know, it doesn't matter. But like, hopefully it's less. In the porn community, I would expect, you know, sex workers or people in porn or I would expect those groups to be more left. But yeah, sure. I, but yeah, it's 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 insane that I don't know. We need to do an episode about this, maybe. And part of me wonders if sex worker clients tend to be more Republican. Oh, and if maybe that like brings them right a little bit just because of oh. who, who they hang out with. Uh, that that is for sure like that's something i've heard that mm. you know you, you the republican convention attracts <laughs> sex mm. workers so uh, but I, you know i don't know about its veracity but that's definitely something i've i've heard huh. and and if you're more welcome and, and open to being out you don't you can instead of hiring sex workers you can be more public about the people you're with and not that there's anything wrong with anyone hiring a sex worker but a lot of the republicans that get caught doing it are doing it because they can't be out about it yeah that, that's the reason they're doing it so yeah, yeah, lady yeah. g yeah lady g god so disturbing. that's such the craziest story that never just never went anywhere and yeah. it's like okay uh, uh dudeski is 39 years old and is from zephyr hills florida so florida man does gay porn and storms the capital <laughs> Sorry to Floridians. There's your article. Yep. Uh, news the second? Yeah. Okay, great. Tell me what you know about Ben Shapiro, Kyle. Oh, <laughs> I've been... Look. Yeah. We don't need to... I know. <laughs> I forgot we talked about him and you talked about how much he could fuck you. <laughs> and then he's posted these 
he's such a fucking tool and that's why i'm into it and i'm so annoyed because i don't you shouldn't be into i shouldn't be talking about you shouldn't be into nazis you shouldn't be into police like and i don't and here i am but he like posted these things of him like flexing he wrote like justice and constitution or whatever on his biceps or some dumb ass shit that was so stupid and i was like a little bit turned on and then i was angry at myself for being turned on i i don't i i don't know yeah okay well He's a fuck-faced dickbag asshole. Yeah, he you, could punch me in the face okay. if he wanted to. <laughs> I, I shouldn't... I get angry at people. I, you know when the whole, uh, whatever, Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, invaded the capital? <laughs> what, what was that dude? The QAnon dude or whatever? Oh, with, that, the, with the Viking hat. Yes, and everyone was like, oh, like he's so hot. And it was like, stop. Yeah. Be, like, stop doing that. And I'm doing it, and I don't know. I'm, I'm walking c- contradiction. Yeah. I mean, okay. Contradict me. You're contradict me down. What? Your your dick doesn't know the political leanings of somebody. It just like I know my dick leans right. <laughs> I can't help that. <laughs> Great. Okay. <laughs> what were you? You were gonna say a news story, or is this yeah, the news story? Ba- no, ba- back to the news story. So uh, Oreo, as in Oreo cookies. Posted a heartwarming advertisement starring a young gay man, and uh, it was in partnership with P Flag. It shows. Oh, did it show him eating out the cream? It, <laughs> it showed him getting double stuffed, Kyle. Like, <laughs> I, I, uh, it shows a young man seemingly struggling to come out as gay to his parents, and then it the, there's a different shot, and it shows that he's already out, and it's his parents helping him practice coming out to his grandmother. Hmm. Um, it's adorable. His mother writes a touching letter on his notepad. She might be my mother, but you are my son. And um, the the message was all that like coming out doesn't happen just once, which mm. is something we've said a lot. Like yeah. as a gay person, you come out over and over and over again your whole life. Um, anyway, Ben Shapiro tweeted about the video and said that Oreo is a woke corporation which must affirm your sexual lifestyle. <laughs> Your cookie must affirm your sexual lifestyle. And the Shapiro said, quote, The chief reply here seems to be, How dare you notice that a cookie company is now running ads on sexual orientation? Guys, the story is that every woke corporation now believes it must become an activist LGBTQIA plus outlet. And yes, that's a story. Hmm. Um, just, just, just. The director of the advertisement, Alice Wu, who's famous for queer movies, The Half of It and Saving Face, said she was, quote, delighted that he hated it. (laughs) I still can't get over that I got to do something with Oreo that pissed off Ben Shapiro. What a delightful day this is. There's certain that, yeah, like, uh, that's like uh, an honor. Like, if Ann Coulter (laughs) hates you for something, like, you did something right. Yeah, yeah. That's like... You you done it? You yeah, d- like yeah, yeah. God, I would love to get him so angry at me for something. You know, like he yeah. just how fragile do you have to be? Like what a what a fucking snowflake that like gay Oreos is like something you have to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that everything that any right wing person, any accusation they make is always projection projection that absolutely. just and then once you see that you're like oh everything they say and do yeah like oreos is doing a 
public and you know what we're learning like a public and kind of performative like i don't know i don't know the details of what they support or who they support but oftentimes these things are performative or or for publicity or he's buying into it by talking about it and now we're talking about it like yep yep and so companies yeah are getting smarter at at least performing support yep. for things like lgbt and black lives matter when you know who knows what how the, what they actually do so like and well so uh, this is not the first time oreo has caused a storm on twitter simply by standing up to lgbtq rights uh they had a tweet that simply read trans people exist which <laughs> went viral last year and also uh nabisco uh which owns oreo nabisco has a 100 rating by the hrc offers trans inclusive health care to their employees and a Twitter user said, quote, color me surprised in all colors of the rainbow. Thank you for being my favorite cookie. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's perhaps performative, but they've been consistent for a while. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, news to the last. Yeah. All right. So RuPaul's Drag Race mm-hmm. is now starting a new member of the franchise, Drag Race Sweden. Ooh. Yeah. So, uh, Drag Race Spain is now in season two. Drag Race UK, of course, has been going on. Drag Race Sweden is a thing now. Ah, yeah. I perform (laughs) the drag. Look at me. I dance for you. I am so good left and right and I vogue and (laughs) ha-cha. Oh, God. Right? It's yeah. are you are you are you channeling those creepy Swedish twins from Big Mouth? Is that- <laughs> I think no, I think I'm channeling from Community the oh. like faux Swedish or I don't know or generic European accent that yeah yeah uh, I, it it is it is interesting to me how like basically basically Rue is taking over the universe. Oh yeah yeah, like, uh, this shit keeps on going. There's, it's Thailand, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Australia and New Zealand, Chile, Holland, the Philippines, the UK, Italy, France, and Spain, and now Sweden. So, like, when, when, when is Drag Race Iraq gonna happen? Or <laughs> oh my uh, god, <laughs> that's when they need to when they start dipping in the ratings and they need to like mix it up. They're absolutely gonna be like, yeah, Drag Race Saudi Arabia, dra- exactly, <laughs> Drag Race Afghanistan. Yeah. Our military couldn't prop them up, but can these drag queens? Like, yeah, yeah. It's it's another it's another drag race that I I can not watch. Yeah, I guess. I, you know, uh, might as well close the library because I've I'm done with the reading of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's the news. That's the news. Uh, speaking of uh, people that would make good drag queens, I don't know people who may or may not be Swedish. Sure, I, I guess anyone may or may not be Swedish <laughs> if you think about it. Uh, if you're from Switzerland, sorry, Sweden, Sweden. <laughs> Fuck God, uh, sorry, everybody. Um, thank you to following Patreon members. Uh, they've been hanging out, chilling. Oh yeah, we took a break. We take a break from this because live shows. live show. We've had some live shows. So, uh, first batch of folks that I have uh, owed their name to them. Um, thank you to Ryan Oliver, Rin Manzano, 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 um, for one dollar sign zero N. Oh, Harrison. Well, or is it <laughs> for one dollar sign on key dollar sign? Ha, dollar sign. Ha, uh, Steve Salvato. Um, I don't know why I couldn't do that. Uh, Salvato. Salvato. Because I was thinking. 
that never mind. Salvatore? Yeah. Chris Salvatore? Yep. That boy hot. I know. Um, this is not him. Sit on my face, Chris Salvatore. Dude, these are distinct people, presumably. Uh, Hunter Ponder. That's cute. Um, and Jit Ying Chung, all caps. So, Wait, what's the all caps part included? Oh, or, no, no, no. It was in all caps. They didn't write the words all caps. Okay. Um, I don't know if any of these people sent a message to say how they wanted their name to be said. This is just how their names are said. Thank you so much for supporting us. And um, remember that our new kind of five minute or whatever sh- quick episodes about uh, mom splaining are yeah. coming up. Um, so send. We need questions. Please send us. Preferably a voicemail with your questions yep. and uh, or if you want to message them to us on Patreon or what have you, um, we're going to start having every month uh, quick mom splaining. So yep. send those in, please. Yep. Look for mom splaining in May. In May. Okay. You want to talk about flight attendants? Yes. Flight attendants. Uh, Wait. You... What? How do you feel about flight attendants? Um, I feel pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's uh, like defo get big gay vibes from any male flight attendants. Um, yeah. Oftentimes, I'm I think I'm right. Um, yeah. They got uniforms, which is hot. They like kind of vaguely oh. touch you when they like lean over and do stuff. So that's fun. Yeah, there's you know there's you know the fact they're going to different places. There's the potential for like fucking all over the world, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. But no, I feel good about flight attendants. Okay. And like, God, this would be one of those professions. Like, I'd love to date a flight attendant because, I mean, uniform, all these things. And also flight benefits, flight benefits. God, (laughs) like, what do they bring it? You know, what's my partner bringing to the table for me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and flight benefits is a good one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How do you feel about flight attendants? Okay, so we will talk about this more. Airports make me horny. You've said that before, and I just don't. I mean, you're not alone because the like the the foot tapping in the bathroom. There's a whole thing about it, so you're not the only one. And I don't get it. Yeah, I don't necessarily get it either. I think that there's a like a presumption of anonymity first. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Like I don't know where you're from or where you're going or like two dicks passing in the night. Yeah, <laughs> and and so flight attendants are like the personification of that whole thing. And they're also, I think, typically pretty attractive. Yeah. Some of them are fucking hot. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, um, and they got to be social because they got to deal with people and shit all the time. And they have to serve me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Didn't expect that right turn at the end. Yeah, great. Just like people say about my dick. Yeah. <laughs> That's not true. I don't know why. I don't know if that matters. <laughs> I don't often talk to them. Um, you have a segment. But yes, well, I was going to mention for our tiebreaker vote, uh, Flight Attendants got 53% of the vote. Brunch got 34% of the vote. So, boy, people fucking hated White Party. But um, yeah, yeah. uh, Our listeners know what they want to eat. Flight Attendants? (laughs) Instead of brunch. (laughs) Oh, the butts of Flight um, Attendants. Also, we're going to do a new thing where um, whoever whoever wins. So you picked Flight Attendants. I did. So whoever loses, I lost. So now I have to put up two topics and you put uh, up one for next month God. and then that way i'm in the majority like 
now I have a better chance of winning. And so I, the, the thing should, it should switch back and forth pretty regularly. It should flip flop like a good flight attendant. I don't yeah. know. Okay. Um, Gata, I'm going to start with Gata. Great. I mentioned yeah. this. I've talked about this on another episode that I don't remember which one, but I'll just recap. You know, there was a time when you not remembering which one was like problematic mm. because there was like eight episodes. Yeah. Like, how do you not remember? <laughs> yeah. We've had 275 episodes. That's a it's lot. It's okay to not remember some shit. But I thought I did, and I went back to, I actually plugged in my fucking external hard drive to find the my notes that I took about this episode to try mm, to find, mm, 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 uh, mm. I had the wrong one. I thought I talked about it in a different one. But anyway, this is about the gayest professions, basically. Sure. And they talk about like this research study, which is concealable stigma and occupational segregation toward a theory of gay and lesbian occupations in 2015 by Andras nope, T uh, Michael Antibi and Carly R. Knight uh, in administrative science quarterly. Okay. ASQ for your administrative needs. Sure. Quarterly. Um, It looked at, you know, what gay men and lesbians are more like which professions they're most likely to be in. in Hairstylist, ice dancer, nurse. <laughs> Is that one profession? <laughs> <laughs> I am the hairstylist, ice dancer, dur- nurse. <laughs> I dance to your hair and fix it when it's causing disease and issue. Uh, they say that occupational segregation, which that phrase, like that's, I mean, in the title, so they, like, I didn't think about kind of that that idea of occupational segregation, but that's, you know, what, what we are talking about of people flocking to certain groups of people flocking to certain professor professions um, matters because it can lead to inequality between workers and limit the talent pool for employers trying to fill a position. Sure. Um, So that's why it's important. That's why they're studying it. They uh, just overall not getting into like the, the, you know, ice dancer nurse, um, uh, just overall highest with if you add up all the gays and lesbians top uh, I have the top 15 but what are the top uh, occupations would you say Mike for 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 gays both gay men gay and women gay and women gay gays and women no um uh, gays and lesbians well okay let's flight attendant nope not in the top 15 fuck my ass okay flight. um is that in the top 15 <laughs> <laughs> ass fucker ass fucker a massage therapist oh, that's number six okay yeah, it could, i mean depending on where you go um okay uh let's see gays and lesbians mm-hmm. that's the i would expect those to be different things like like mechanic that's a lesbian thing but like not the gays so um uh, 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 uh. i can just tell you this is sure. fun <laughs> accountant secretary no police officer no firefighter no okay uh top one is psychologist oh, okay uh next one is training and development specialists and managers that's what i do that is what you okay. do <laughs> oh no that's correct <laughs> okay great <laughs> got one thing right this episode <laughs> uh social and community service managers okay uh, all right yeah uh technical writers okay uh occupational therapists i don't actually know what those people do Technical writers or occupational occupational therapists. therapists. Oh, they... I was a technical writer, so that like, okay, we're like checking boxes. Okay, but... <laughs> wow. Are you... Um, occupational therapists they help um give people therapy on occupationals. Great. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Um. Okay, but yes, when you start to break them out, like male dominated industries, female dominated industries, and gays and lesbians, they have like a little four square that I should uh, post. But 
highest proportion of gay men working in female majority occupation flight attendant numero uno number one okay uh next is hairdresser then nurse then uh transportation attendants um and travel agents so it's it's travel i mean nurse practitioner can be a traveling job depending on but like hair nurse things in in travel Wow. wow um highest proportion of gay men among male majority are anchors nope actors actors okay but st- but actually anchor next it, number two is news analysts reporters correspondents um, artists agents managers of artists and performers producers so they're all hollywood wow or performing kind of things wow okay uh for lesbians in female majority jobs it's psychologists probation officers training and development specialists you're a lesbian job oh good for you sociologists social community and service managers so it's people that get shit done get shit done (laughs) help complimentary of you and lesbians (laughs) um but it's also like people that work and help with other people whether it's for their job for the community for their brain like that's interesting um and lesbians among male majority occupations are you mentioned uh, like so bu- bus and truck mechanics elevator installers heating and ac and mechanics home appliance security and fire alarm installers all of these are like mechanic electrical you know kind of kind of things um, installing shit installing shit machines tech like yeah great um yeah but okay to come back to Flight attendants, literally number one job for gay men. Um, mm-hmm. So they like looked across these databases and and kind of validated. So it is true the idea that gay men are flight attendants. That is absolutely true. And you know, like all stereotypes, this one is is true. And also doesn't mean that every single male flight attendant is gay. And it probably is pretty shitty if you're a straight dude that works as a flight attendant is everyone's like, are you gay? And you have to be like, no. And people want you to prove it or something, you know, like that must be annoying. Um, but, but it is, they are more likely to be flight attendants for sure. You know, I have a, a, a friend who is a bartender at a gay bar who's legit straight. He used to date mm. my cousin and is your cousin a woman. Yes. She, okay. she's a woman. Okay. And he's like, straight girls come to the bar and like they always ask are you gay says no and then they're like prove it and then he gets to take them home like oh (laughs) oh i mean is he hot yeah oh will he prove it to me wait (laughs) hold on hold on let me make that work somehow i don't know maybe it's a strategy what like that if you're a straight dude you like to travel and you're good with people and like comfortable with your sexuality like fucking ride that gravy train go for it riding that gravy train is the worst <laughs> synonym for gay or straight sex that i've ever heard that's Great. disgusting excellent i will pour gravy all over your turkey this thanksgiving okay Do you- <laughs> never say that again <laughs> you tell me about things sure all right, I'm going to talk to you about the history of flight attendants. The history of flight attendants, they started when uh, Flea sat on a bird <laughs> and gave out water to other <laughs> fleas that were also sitting on the bird. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, okay. It goes back to the dinosaur times. <laughs> um, so, first of all, like the word stewardess has fallen correctly out of favor since and it's the longest word that 
the word the the longest word that you would would only type with your left hand. I think. Ooh, that's a good one. Ran, I'm pretty like sure that's that. true. Random random fact. I like that. I like that a lot. Thanks. I don't like many things that you say, but this one. (laughs) Pour gravy on your stewardess and eat her for brunch. Um, Yeah, it has fallen out of favor, but it is is important to talk about the fact that flight attendants used to be known as stewards and stewardesses, and all of that comes out of the maritime boat crossing role of being a cabin steward Mm. so people would book passage like on the titanic or the whatever the fuck boat it was that they were coming across the ocean and there would be cabin stewards who would you know change your linens and and take your laundry and bring you food or whatever so that's 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 where that that occupation comes from yeah and and yeah even though we don't use stewards anymore we call them sex workers (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so fuck you maybe um cabin stewards it used to be not a gendered role um there were there were lots of men and women that performed this basic function on transportation and when flying became a thing it's funny because flight attendants stewards and stewardesses in the air predate airplanes because we had the balloon times and so like a fucking hot air balloon yeah. there'd be people that'd be like boy the skinniest of people to so as not to take up too much room i would guess but the very first flight attendant was a man he was a german man named heinrich kubis and he became a flight attendant in 1912 this guy's life is fascinating first of all not not gay <laughs> like you look at pictures of this dude, he just, he, he seems pretty gay. It's just like all cum covering his face and you're just like, <laughs> is that your own? It is, it, yeah, it is, it is the, the giant dick in his mouth yeah. that tells you. Yep. Um, he's, he trained as a waiter, worked in several luxury hotels in Europe. He worked at the Hotel Ritz Paris and the Carlton Hotel in London. And in March of 1912, he began attending to passengers on the LZ-10 Schwaben. Uh, which was a balloon that went from Berlin to Friedrichshafen. It really was a hot air balloon? Yep. Shut the fuck up. I was joking about that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so the Schwaben uh, was destroyed in Dusseldorf on June 28th of 1912. He survived that crash. What happened? It crashed? Uh, was it a crash? I might be getting this confused. It, it was destroyed and he survived it. So, like, I don't know exactly what happened. But... This is more important. Well, it could be. It could have been a destroyed. Like, did did they like hold a ritual burning of it after it landed, and he survived because he was just standing off to the side watching? Like, lots. It's, I don't know. it's a great question. That doesn't Carl. matter. But uh, more than twenty years later, twenty five is twenty five years later. He, he was managing the wait staff, overseeing fifteen cooks and waiters on the Hindenburg mm. when it exploded and crashed to the ground in nineteen thirty seven. Did he survive? He survived. Are you serious? Yes. Oh, my he, God. He, he had almost missed that voyage due to illness. He recovered in time to make the flight on the 3rd of May. He was in the dining room at the moment of the explosion, helped passengers to jump to safety, and he also jumped out of a window 
while the Hindenburg was falling to the ground and managed to survive. Not just survive, he didn't even require hospitalization or treatment. He escaped oh, without injury. He died in 1979. Just regularly or from another crash? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like... He, he took a whole bunch of balloons from the grocery store and tied them around his waist. <laughs> <laughs> jumped off the third floor of the Ritz Carlton, and yeah. Anyway, um, so he, unlike he's not like a violinist that has to go down with the Hindenburg. He was like, <laughs> "I want to live. I'm right. gonna go ahead and jump out later." Yep. Wow. Yep. Yep. So he survived two balloon crashes, but he he is the first. He's credited as the very first flight attendant. And did, did he jump out of the Hindenburg onto a dick, or do we, do we actually know <laughs> his confirmed orientation? Or we, uh, his his orientation has never been confirmed. However, uh, he is in that crew of people that never married and mm. was in like a service role in the travel industry, yeah. which, like you just said in the Gata portion, <sighs> my magic eight ball says yes. You know. <laughs> um, Anyway, uh, interesting dude, super interesting dude. The first female flight attendant uh, was not until 1930. She was a registered nurse named Ellen Church. She was 25 years old at the time. She was hired by United Airlines in 1930. A nurse seems like a smart person to get up in the air, especially if you don't know what the fuck's going on with flight, to be like, just in case. It's exactly right. So. Oh my God. I'm guessing this story so fucking good. Yeah. Let me just tell it to you, <laughs> tell you the rest of it. Uh, she was a trained nurse and pilot, and she wanted to pilot commercial aircraft. She asked United Airlines, hey, could I fly one of your planes? And they said no, because you have a vagina. Yeah. Did she forget she was a woman for a second? <laughs> What's wrong with her? But she was still so into airplanes and wanted to fly that she convinced Boeing Air Transport that using nurses as flight stewardesses uh, would increase safety yeah. and help convince passengers that flying was safe. So they hired her. What a smart, like that's such a smart, like she just gave them a marketing campaign on a silver platter. What a smart bitch. Yeah, yeah. She So she, she basically invented stewardessing by saying, you know, Include me, it's going to do wonders for your image. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And um, anyway, so yeah, she was the she was the first the first female flight attendant, and that whole concept was so successful. Um, by 1936, uh, over half of flight attendants in the industry were female instead of male. They'd been exclusively male before her, and um, but also you see in the, in the, as early as the 30s the focus on physical characteristics mm. that they were being hired mostly for the way that they looked. Yeah. And, and that was something that got worse over time in 1936 or better depending or, on who okay. you are. <laughs> High five dudes. <laughs> well done. I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and, and that, that whole thing was, uh, was carefully calculated because, uh, Businessmen who were predominantly white and straight and had money yeah. uh, were the ones that were flying most often and most loyally. And they were trying to get them to stay with their airline by making the flight attendants hot. I didn't know how similar their business model was to Hooters. Right. <laughs> like, that's not... I... <laughs> For sure. For sure. Uh, a 1936 New York Times article described the requirements 
to be a flight attendant. The girls, quote, the girls who qualify for hostesses must be petite, weigh 100 to 118 pounds. Jesus. Height 5 feet to 5 foot 4, age 20 to 26. And the rigid physical examination must it must be undertaken four times every year. Physical examination? Mm-hmm. Quarterly? Quarterly. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yep. Right around the time that the... <laughs> What was my thing? Right around the time that the Administrative Science Quarterly came out, they took the measurements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By 1966, it had not changed much. Uh, there was a, a classified oh. ad for Eastern Airlines that said that um, they had to be, quote, a high school graduate, single. What? Yeah. Widows and divorcees with no children may apply. <gasps> Kill your husband and kids if you really want to get up there, ladies. 20 years of age, girls 19 and a half may apply for future consideration. Five foot two, but no more than five foot nine, weigh 105 to 135 pounds in proportion to height, and have at least 20 40 vision without glasses. They, huh. they were not allowed to wear glasses, and contact lenses weren't really a thing. Wow. God, that's such a specific, narrow. Wow. Yeah. 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 So, okay. What happens historically with flight attendants is very similar to what we've seen on the show in other contexts where once something becomes feminine, the gays follow. Mm -hmm. And it it just, it's, it's so interesting to me that by the, by the time the sixties rolled around, it was it was a solidly female job, and the men that were involved were automatically presumed to be feminine and gay. Gay is what yeah. that what that ended up yeah. also meaning. So <laughs> they had to be petite men, nineteen and a half. So, well, okay, okay. So men actually had to sue to be allowed. Whoa, wow. To exist. So um, by the time the mid-50s rolled around, most airlines were not hiring men as flight attendants whatsoever. And in fact, the number of men that were flight attendants shrank to uh, just 3 to 5% huh. by the 1960s. And Eastern Airlines and Pan Am Airfly- Airlines were the, sort of the last ones to hire male flight attendants. And they stopped. So... They eventually got sued. There was a Supreme Court case, uh, Celio Diaz Jr. versus Pan American Airways in uh, in the 1970s. He was a Miami resident who really wanted to work as a flight attendant, but a, a Pan Am employee in the hiring office refused to let him apply, claimed the position was for women only. Oh, it was, sorry, it was 1967. And uh, he sued under the 1964 Civil Rights Act and said that it was discrimination based on uh, race and gender. So, uh, it took about four years for the case to be decided. Went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and they found in his favor. And the Supreme oh. Court mandated that all airlines in the U.S. were forced to hire men on an equal basis with women. And the floodgates of faggotry opened <laughs> for the airline industry as a result <laughs> of that. That's my favorite porn, the floodgates of faggotry. <laughs> yeah, was that's that nasty? <laughs> Fraternity X, check it out. Talk about gravy. <laughs> um, 
Uh, gravy as gum is my least favorite like even before this that is a disgusting euphemism that people use and i fucking hate it i don't know why i'm um is it do we know if that grows gang your face says no (laughs) but you haven't said no yet so that's not he was not oh so this uh the 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 author of this article in hushkit.net said quote i think of diaz versus pan am as a sort of stealth victory for gender queer people in america it meant that men who aspired to jobs that were notionally women's work would be protected and so would the far more numerous women desiring to do men's work hmm. of course though you didn't have to be too queer and certainly not gay just as diaz himself was not hmm. to want to do such work it was really America's overly rigid sex norms that needed correcting, and Diaz was the right kind of plaintiff to start to make this happen. I wonder if that, I wonder how different that is than male-dominated jobs where women are trying to get in. I just wonder, my assumption would be that it moved quicker when a man tries to say it's sexist against me versus if women were trying to say it's sexist against me. That, that, yeah. I mean, it's like apply today's sensibilities to it. The whole like discriminating against men is the real problem. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, like, it's reverse. It's reverse racism to yeah. say that my baby's racist or whatever the fuck the, like white assholes <laughs> yeah. are saying yeah. on the right these days. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, by the time the 1980s roll around, we're we're starting to get rid of the word stewardess and and in prefer flight attendant instead as the the name. Which is there anybody that still says stewardess? I um no. What's the uh, what's the? I can't even think of the other word that people would use. No, that that one's super old and Gonski's. Yeah. Um, the there's another word that's not call girl. I don't know. What, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> no, I don't know. So I, I think the natural question for us is why? Why do so many gay guys work as flight attendants, or why is that such a such a part of it? And um, so, some some things are like what we've already talked about that that once you feminize something, then like gay men end up being sort of relegated to do that kind of work. Yeah. We see that in lots of different sectors, but also. Flight careers, in-flight careers, are not family-friendly. It is very, very difficult to hold down that kind of a job where you are traveling all over hell and staying in random-ass hotels and random places and have also an anchored caretaking role in a child's life in a domestic way somewhere. So that automatically shifts just the eligibility pool of who can do this kind of job. We see a similar effect in corporate America where... Uh, high travel jobs, especially things like sales, end up being overpopulated by gay men because we tend to be single mm-hmm. and free and unattached and can just like travel the world yeah. doing whatever this whatever this job is. It's interesting. I like wonder how some of these things are we're seeing change like even over the course of us doing this podcast, that has changed the idea of families. Uh, and and gays having families and and the gays that have families, I feel like that becomes 
is becoming even so much more prominent that I just wonder how long it takes for those things to solidify and then that not to be a selling point. Like that's a selling point yeah. for some gay men as well as other people that also don't want to have families or don't currently have families or sure. what have you. But but you're absolutely right that we're far less likely to have families. Yep. Yep. Well, this was um, this was especially true in the the 50s, 60s and 70s. Um, airlines like Pan Am required their crews to serve on weeks long routes. So uh, my aunt's a flight attendant for Alaska Airlines oh. and, and she um, she would go on trips that last like a few days at most and then comes back home. And uh, but but Pan Am back in the day, you would be gone from your primary residence for two or three weeks at a time mm-hmm. as a matter of course. Mm-hmm. And um, single women could handle these norms, but uh, so could gay men. And it's also interesting that uh, uh, airports make me horny. Kyle. <laughs> and I'm not the only one. So uh, apparently there's something, well, quote, I think we sexualize flight attendants because we sexualize flying. This is the same article that I was talking about. It's in Hushkit. Plenty of Freudian psychologists have for decades explained that most aviation fanatics are attracted to the adrenaline rush of high-speed travel and the penetration or conquering of the sky. And... Uh, these sorts of sensations aren't too far off from how sexual pleasure is experienced by some here on the ground. Uh, in the 1930s, Hollywood was turning this erotic attraction to flight in the direction of stewardesses, with the first movies in which a stewardess served as the romantic lead coming out <laughs> in that decade. And once the U.S.'s censorship of pornography was liberalized by the late 60s, the first X-rated stewardess movie was made <laughs> called The Stewardesses. Oh, Yeah. And uh, the naughty stewardess, the naughty stewardesses, cockpit, I don't know. cockpit. I... <laughs> but yeah, the the um the sexualization because you're traveling is part of what's happening to flight attendants. Hmm. And like they, there was a hypercharged sexuality that was injected into that image intentionally, right? That persisted, but then it's also just amplified by something about travel and and airlines and airports and planes like um it, there it's rife for there's an ecosystem there that that uh, automatically makes us think maybe if maybe we think of our fellow humans as being objects or mm. or, or something I, anyway yeah well I, it's interesting like the idea of vacation or endorphins or the the thrill of flying equating to that to the thrill of sex or I, I, I'm, I go back and forth between like either that's a reach or that's genius. I'm not sure which yeah. one, but uh, I mean, you go when, whenever you go to, I'm calling you out specifically because sure. there's like, whenever you go to a new place, you like get on, you know what the apps or whatever. And right away you're fresh meat. You're yeah, the new person. Fun. And, and it is like, uh, yeah, I get on the apps and I see the same fucking same people that like, Oh, this hot guy will never reply to me. So mm-hmm. I don't need to worry about him. Like this year. Yeah. You're in a new place and flight attendants are like human grinders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah. Yep. Interesting. Are you ready for me yep. to tell you Let's about, the perhaps most famous uh, gay flight attendant that sure. there is, Gaten Duga. How 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 confident are you in that pronunciation? 
I listened to it many times. And then whenever I like go to say any, you know, this is probably more so at live shows, but just anytime I'd like sit down, then I get anxiety and then fuck it up anyway. Sure. I, I'm pretty sure. Gaten Duga. I'm pretty confident in that. Okay. Yeah. 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 As confident as I'll ever be, which is like right around like sixty four percent. Great, that's that's my max in confidence. Putting the Gaten and Gaten Duga. Here we go. Putting the you could have said gay, gay in Gaten. Mm-hmm. That's okay. All right. Um, he is. You have told me about him. You told me some about him, and hopefully, I'm going to elaborate and add more info and things that I found were interesting. But he is what people originally thought as. Patient zero, the person that got mistaken for the person that caused the spread of AIDS in the United States. Sure. Um, So patient zero, as you've told me, patient zero came from this concept. That phrase started with AIDS, with this person, um, based on a mistake that I'll re-explain and hopefully add more detail to. And this guy was unfairly blamed for a long time for being the the first person the first human to have aids mm-hmm. and the 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 source the reason it was spread around sure yeah uh, all the things i read tell things out of order like here's what we thought happened but then we went back and so i'm going to tell you the actual order based on the most scientific evidence that we know what the actual order of how things happened okay so best we know is that aids virus hiv uh came to New York City for the mm-hmm, first time mm-hmm. in, in to the U.S. to New York City from Haiti for the first time around 1970 or 1971. Whoa, that seems early. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so it had been around decades longer than P. Or I think it was like a, about a decade that it was just completely underground. But, but actually, yeah, I have a timeline here that will illuminate that. Um, sure. 1972, Dugas becomes sexually active. He was around the age of 20. That was in an article. (laughs) Sure. How did they know? In 1974, so he's about 22, uh, Dugas starts working at Air Canada as an airline steward. Great. We've connected it to the topic. Great. We're all good now. I don't have to do anything more. (laughs) I've gotten that connection. And he is part of the the reason he gets blamed for this. He... he estimates, I don't know the source and, or where we got this. He estimates he has, he has had sex with 2,000 people. Ooh, um, girl. Which the article I read. Congrats. I, right? I, <laughs> I feel like I have a pretty big number, and I, but I still think, I think I'm probably in three digits. Like, I don't think I'm four. And the, the article that I was reading was very much trying to explain why it wasn't his fault and trying to, you know, shed the, correctly shed light on, and it said, you know, which is about, usual for someone of his age and it's like really is that normal is that everyone just has sex with them? i don't know wasn't there that study that was like straight dudes it's like eight yeah, yes there was <laughs> yes yes it, I, yeah i don't know um in 1976 one person uh brought the virus from new york to san francisco okay and we talk about it going to san francisco because the first uh, CDC study was in the early 80s uh, when they started studying why gay men in L.A. were dying. Sure. So so it was in New York. It went to San Francisco. 
it started spreading around California, but they started the CDC, uh, a, a scientist named William Darrow, which they described as a young scientist at the CDC, was charged with figuring out why these gay men in L.A. were dying. Mm-hmm. In 81, he got a break. He heard that uh, people that had the gay men that had gotten these early cases were lovers. They kept using I fucking hate the word lover as this like they fucked. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> we, like you know it's like people trying to pretty up the fact that like these dudes fucked and they maybe they weren't lovers maybe they just fucked one night you yeah, know sure know. they don't uh, have to have been lovers love them. they were lovers um <laughs> so he started interviewing uh, like that was a huge break in this case and understanding aids so after that he started interviewing gay men about their sex lives on one day three men none of whom knew each other all named the same guy and that was Gaten Dugas. Oh. Um, so Dugas actually, so here, um, again, like this is the truth or the best we know. Dugas was, in spite of being blamed for being patient zero, he was actually critical to figuring out what AIDS was and what caused it. He flew to the CDC in Atlanta to donate blood samples. He gave the CDC a big list of names so that they could help track down cases. Later, at the, he knew their names. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Knowing their names, one of the University of Arizona's Michael Warabee, um, who was a evolutionary biologist who, who uh, helped sequence some of the original samples. Like once we kind of knew it was bullshit, he was not the first person. He went back and tried to sequence samples to understand how it actually got to the U.S. He said, uh, "Sorry, different thing. I was about to connect to your thing. Not yet." But this dude said, "Quote: I think it is crucial in a way. It's not that surprising that you could place Dugas at the center of a cluster because I'm quite certain he shared more names of people than any other person in that study. So there's a kind of ascertainment bias sure. in that original CDC. If someone is most helpful, providing a lot of names, they're all going to connect back to him. So the fact that he did that, the fact that he was helpful." is contributed to why he got blamed, which fucking sucks. Yeah. Don't help anyone ever. It only hurts. Sure. Um, yeah. Historian, this is at connects back to remembering people's names. Historian Richard McKay said, uh, what, in looking back on this and trying to figure out why he got blamed, what, what was the cause? Although, oh, okay, actually, although many of the patients analyzed reported in excess of a thousand sexual partners. So I guess it wasn't super uncut. They, they had other people. I'm not going to say it's common, but at least some other people named that many sexual partners. Sure. Uh, most only remembered a handful of names, um, making their contacts difficult to trace. But one of the reasons he says is that Gaten Dugas is such a specific sure. name that stands out. People remembered it. Yeah. So although they didn't know all the names, he was more likely to be a name people would remember and say. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so weird that something just innocuous like your name would be a thing. And I mean, I Mike Johnson is the most innocuous of the names. but <laughs> Oh, yeah. I use the opposite of the word. I don't know. So, okay. Back to the timeline. So, it was 1981 that they started doing this research. Uh, 1983, the first community in um, where Dugas lived in in uh, Vancouver, uh, the first meeting of what would become the AIDS Vancouver group was held. It was packed. Dugas showed up and at the he apparently took over the microphone, kind of asked a lot of questions, co- commandeered the meeting. Uh, I think people then like incorrectly or, or kind of shittily were like he was he was in hysteria or whatever but (laughs) um it's interesting one of the attendees said he seemed upset that people were saying he had caused aids Mm -hmm. which 
so at that time, like the CDC report wasn't released yet, but uh, so I don't know if that's someone that's looking back on this moment, yeah. coming to that conclusion, or if they had actually like started to make him feel like he was the cause of it. Uh, it's hard to yeah. know exactly. I just want to, I don't know how much do God knew or believed about himself. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 he didn't necessarily have to be pressured by external forces either to like blame himself right like if he's uh yeah if, he, if he's flying down to cdc if you know doing what he needs to do and, and helping to try to figure this out but maybe he gathered through that, that yeah. i don't know yeah it's i don't i did not come across anything that says exactly what he was told or what he believed about himself sure um because he he dies a year later oh wow before the the um the cdc uh report comes out in march 1984 he dies that same month. So it's, so people hadn't the, the kind of big hysteria and publicity around this patient zero mistake hadn't happened yet. Sure. So that's why I'm like, not sure yeah, 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 yeah. how much he knew or thought or believed. Is it, is it totally fucking terrible that it's maybe a blessing that he died before that story broke and he I, became even more vilified i can't even if he believed to some degree like there uh, there was absolutely this big it, it was then became worldwide news and became uh, i don't know how someone would live through that yeah yeah i don't know uh, yeah um so the study came out it's uh, this is part that, that you explained to me of the misunderstanding of the, the as they were categorizing people they were researching people in LA. They used things like LA one, LA two, to as codes for the individuals, so that they didn't, you know, reveal people's names. Uh, they, in the study, referred to him as O, patient O, the letter, not the number, uh, because he was out of California, um, mm-hmm. and so that's that was the shortening that they did. And it's it's interesting because you'll read different people say different things, but I think the truth of of where the mistake came in, where the misinterpretation of that as patient zero instead of patient O for out um, or outside um, is that it was a typo that was actually included in CDC documents. I don't know if it's the report itself or when they were internally reporting on this, whatever. But like, I think the, the historian that I mentioned, Richard McKay, I listened to a podcast episode and that's, he seems to blame it on or blame. Yeah. um, Like he seems to say that there were reports that the CDC put out that went back and forth between O and zero. And so they seem to be the ones that did this mistake, did this typo of what should have been an O for the word outside and instead did zero. Wikipedia has a quote, if the infectious agent hypothesis is true, patient zero, zero may be an example of the carrier, maybe an example of a carrier of su- such agent. He had sexual contact with eight other AIDS patients and was the possible source of AIDS for at least three of them. So the people that put together, uh, the, the main dude that put together the CDC report did not, said he did not intend to call him patient zero. Now, whether he accidentally used that or other people in the CDC used that, like that wasn't their intention, but that's what happened. And it, but it was always zero, uh, like the not typed out, like the number zero. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that same month, uh, Dugal died of kidney failure caused by AIDS related infections. Uh, he died in his hometown of Quebec. He was Canadian. And uh, this is the start then of, by getting this report, um, someone actually, uh, the the dude that wrote the book and the band played on, 
got a copy of this report early. He looked at it. And this is why I clarified that, like, I think the CDC actually used this. You know, if he looked at that, some people say that he misinterpreted the O as a zero. And it seems like he actually did hear people at the CDC say patient zero. So so um, he even uh, where did I write that? He even commented like, wow, was really interesting. People like at the CDC started saying patient zero and that you know was catchy and and, um it is catchy yeah like yeah there's something to that for sure patient O. I don't know yeah i probably wouldn't and what the reason that caught on and became an even bigger thing and this is something that um i should tell you what podcast that is that that robert mckay the historian on this did because it's really good um episode 47 of infectious historians podcast hmm. uh you can like skip the first 20 minutes about it's this is during covid so like that's i don't know about covid but then <laughs> it's like what is hiv and he gives you that the breakdown because we like we know when i know what hiv is like kind of at a vague ish level but he's like here's the, how you define this thing and then he's like okay how did it start and he walks through the history and it just puts it out very plainly mm-hmm. um uh, why was I telling you about that? Uh, he talked about patient zero. Like that was such a easy phrase that people could start to use. And it didn't totally mean exactly what anyone, there's no one definition for it, but it kind of, then people could use it to however they want. So it became easy to use in kind of marketing or gimmicks or, um, in future diseases, people would look for it. It's like, Oh, because of AIDS, newspapers and things learned that people cared about identifying the source. People want to know who's the person that started it like that, that kind of, they realized that sells and people care about that. And so for other diseases, they started using that term or or investigating where it started. So it was a very much a accidental thing that then caught on. And it was so, you know, I was going to say infection. Um, It was so easy and kind of markety that, that, it grew from there and started to be used for other, uh, other diseases. Wow. Um, in the, so this is kind of the start of then taking what uh, all that shit and misunderstanding and then how it got popularized, uh, just to set the scene. I really liked in the extra article, uh, that I read by guy Babineau, he said, quote, AIDS had appeared in a sparkling new PC, VCR and Walkman world filling up with new ways to be entertained or distracted. The perfect Petri dish for incubating a culture in which moral assumption can be presented as fact. Mm. So that was like set in the scene for why this took such a big turn. So in 1987, that's when the bestseller and the band played on uh, came out. It was written by uh, reporter Randy Schiltz. Mm -hmm. In his 630-page book, 10 pages, talked about Dugas. It was mostly not about that. He talked about other things, including uh, government in action and other things about the AIDS epidemic. When the editor that he worked with... So so some people make uh, Schultz out to be the villain that exposed this guy. Or he looked at the CDC report or said he got an early copy. It seems like he heard CDC people talk about patient zero and took that and... and um, uh, but he really isn't, I don't think he's really the bad guy. Um, uh, Michael Denany, the editor at St. Martin's Press, who works with Schiltz to help with the promotion of the book, 
was told by major publishers that they would not be publicizing the book. There was like a recent article. There's this big article, I think in the times or something that came out and it talked about AIDS and they were just kind of like, people are done with AIDS. There's like no paper was going to pick it up. Yeah. So Denony got advice from a publicist to focus on the patient zero angle. And yeah. Denony <laughs> later said, quote, it's the worst kind of yellow journalism. I admit I got my hands dirty. Randy was horrified. The guy that wrote the book, Randy was horrified. He didn't want to do it, but I pointed out to him that if we didn't, no one would read the book and we'd sell 5,000 copies that would end up collecting dust on the shelves. Yeah. So this is the part, the the big part that I did not know is someone made. It wasn't that the dude that wrote this book was villainous and was like, I'm going to blame it on him. It wasn't even that he thought it was him and it, it was, to promote the book, they latched onto this concept and used that in the publicity. And yep. they did so knowingly, diabolically, yeah. like they, they knew what they were doing and they did it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and at that stage, there was a lot of pain in the country and like to give, to give like a lightning rod for that pain is probably a, a niche that needed filling yeah. or, you know, not needed is not the word I wanted to say, but like that there's a, there's a, there's a niche there and yeah. they, they, Saw that opportunity and they struck. Yeah, I mean, it, what they what they thought was going to happen worked. Like they yeah. they they knew what they were doing and it, they they yeah the people did latch onto that. Duga then after the the book came out, Duga got called you know patient zero. He became connected to that. That he became patient zero. People called him a monster. Columbus of AIDS is what another newspaper oh. called him. Whew. Right. Okay. Uh. So also like being a flight attendant, it's it's like. You couldn't script a better scapegoat, right? Like a, oh. a flight attendant, we'd already been primed to think like, oh, dude was gay. This is a gay disease. It was gay cancer or grit yeah. or whatever they were calling it. Like that these, he's a promiscuous, dirty, spreading the seeds of homosexuality all over the globe. Yep. Yep. That's that's a perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And it talked about like his character, this villainous character that was created not only in the book, but also in the movie that came later. And yeah, it's this perfect, like, you know, he's Canadian. He, like he, he's for, and at least for the U S like that's the worst of all that he's Canadian. Canadian. <laughs> he yeah. spread Canadian around the world. <laughs> um, yeah, but he was, and he was sexual and he was good looking. And he was like the perfect evil kind of like, this feels like exactly what we fight against of like the gay, the hot gay character. That's the evil one that's yeah. doing all this um, maliciously. So interesting. So that the, that book came out in 1987, I guess. I, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting in 1988, someone published an opposing view in the New York review of books that said like, no, it's not, it's not that. So at least, you know, it was pretty soon after that people were, you know, saying that this theory wasn't true, but clearly that didn't, Sure. It didn't help like th that the idea of patient zero and that he was patient zero, that theory or that myth persisted. And it was, I think it was, you know, 2010s that decade that, but we like the NPR story that I read, like kind of said, Nope, we figured it out. Definitely not him can confirm. So <laughs> when the internet was powerful and facts still mattered, like that's the, <laughs> that's, yeah, the sweet spot for, yeah. yep. Um, I think it's interesting because, especially because we're talking about how evil people thought he was or he was portrayed. Uh, and the fact that he, I believe he, even after knowing about his diagnosis, he still slept with people or, or either that was, uh, I don't know. Uh, 
uh, Jim Curran, who was in charge of the CDC's HIV AIDS uh, division in the first years of the ep- epidemic and also appears uh, throughout and the band played on, said Gaetan said he didn't believe that what he had was transmitted through sex. He was in denial. Oh, so wow. Okay, I don't know for yeah, I don't know for sure if this is just what they made up about his character or if he did continue to sleep with people even after knowing he had AIDS. But there is a. It's interesting that regardless, he didn't believe it. Yeah, and I can't imagine going through AIDS, having it, what your brain would do to to understand it. Yeah. I, again, I don't know how much he was aware of the fact that he was getting or would be labeled patient zero. Like who knows how much of that, but like to, to back up just a, just a, just a skosh. It's also important to remember that like, we didn't know how shit worked then. Mm. Like the idea that it requires bodily fluid transfer, a certain amount of bodily tr- fluid transfer. And like, we did not know that. Like, I, I yeah. remember, I, I think I've told the story before. I, I, my cousin, my great uncle Tommy had AIDS and, and died of AIDS related complications. And I remember in the mid eighties, it was like 86, 87, something like that. I was young, but like not that young. I was like, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old or whatever. My cousin told me not to play the kazoo that uncle Tommy had just played because I might get AIDS from the kazoo. Yeah. Like we were ignorant about how this shit actually works and what's actually risky. And I, I suppose it, it, you could, that could turn into an overabundance of caution. Like don't play that kazoo, but it could also play into an underabundance of caution of like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what caused it. So like, why, why change what I'm doing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, yeah. They, they were like, uh, I think, I forget the other theories they had, but one of the theories was was that it was being caused by poppers. Yeah. Like they'd know. Yeah. So I don't know where, yeah. Where in the process that they started figuring out or, or kind of where he was. I I, I really wish I knew more about his personal mental state, what he knew when he knew it. And I sound like someone trying to blame the president for something. What did you know? And where did you know it? Like, like, and, and what his mindset was because there was an article that I, was either intentionally misleading or I misinterpreted. It was like he died thinking he caused it or something. And, but I don't, I don't know that that's totally true. Like, but maybe it is like, and that was like, that would be heartbreaking. heart-breaking if you yeah. died thinking that you were the cause of this. Um, and when in reality he did everything he could to help, he was volunteering for people with HIV AIDS, uh, near the end of his life, you know, in addition to what I mentioned about the CD doing the CDC, and I thought it was interesting that it wasn't even people want to blame Schiltz for the book that he wrote. And that wasn't even, he wasn't even, I mean, he did kind of go along with it. So he is kind of, he's part of the, Oh, I didn't even mention Schiltz. Um, while he was writing the book, told his doctor, like he got a test for it and told his doctor not to give him the results until he finished the book. Oh, wow. Then he finished the book and then found out he was positive wow. and didn't reveal that during, not that he owed anyone, but he didn't reveal that during the publicity Press campaign. And, and, wow. and, but it's someone who had AIDS that was, you know, so, wow. yeah, uh, yeah it, it's crazy. It, but that is, so all of this is like, he's a flight attendant that got blamed for many of the things, including what you mentioned. And there was a specific person in publicity that made this decision to sure. do it. So there is an actual kind of evil, bad person yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that caused it. So that is the story of the, of patient zero. I got 
uh, info from Extra Magazine, Gaetan uh, Duga and the AIDS Mary myth. AIDS Mary, I hadn't heard that phrase that hmm. didn't come up. To, have you heard AIDS Mary as the oh, nickname? That's, that's a play on Typhoid Mary. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Um, by Guy Babinon, 2007, and an NPR researcher's clear patient zero from age or, origin story by uh, Michaeline Duclef in 2016. So. Do we do it? What do, I don't know. What else? Um, have you fucked a flight attendant? Not that I know of. Oh. I do flirt with them a lot. Like, you know, airports make me horny. So I'll hop on the apps while I'm in the terminal. And there's always like skeezy, like, you know, 75 feet away dude that like you do not want to <laughs> talk to. Um, you can like see the gonorrhea through the screen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah yes. Yes. But then, but then there are like lots of. There are a lot of cute guys at the airport on Grinder and Scruff, and like most of them are flight attendants, and that part's fun. Have you ever done anything about it though? Well, one time I was on a flight to LA, and I was flirting with a guy on Grinder in in the terminal, and then he was my flight attendant, and that was that was interesting because it was like that, you know, you like make eye contact, and then you do the like, I see you. <laughs> And it's also like, are we going to do that? Are we like, are we pretending that nothing happened? Or Yeah. Yeah. I've heard from flight attendants that they gave flight attendants that they absolutely like look at dudes and judge them and, and then look at like, who's the cute one. There's like a cute one on every flight and they'll like find who's the, you know, the cute gay dude they pick out. Like, of course you do. Of course you would. Oh yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. I, yeah. We, I would do that. Do that in, in the, the bar. bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you banged a flight attendant, Kyle? Yeah. On purpose? Um, it was, because they were a flight attendant? No, it was an indirect <laughs> thing. Like, he was, uh, he and his boyfriend were in an open relationship. They were both super hot. Mm-hmm. And they both had giant dicks. Mm-hmm. It was great. It was so good. <laughs> extend your story. <laughs> as long I can extend my story as long as it's a dick, which is super long. I don't know. It was fun. It was hot. They have big dicks. You hooked up with both of them. Yeah. But only one was a flight attendant. Yes. Yes. The other's like a weatherman. Like a weather. Yeah. It's okay. Like on the news. That's hot too. Yeah. Okay. It's like Robin Scherbatsky and How I Met Your Mother. Like she winks at herself so that when she's having <laughs> sex later, watching herself on TV. Yeah. I would have, I would, I would like told that dude I would have sex with him while he was on TV. Like watching him on TV. We never did that. But oh. Yeah. That's a mind fuck right there, Kyle. Yeah, that, like someone behind you fucking you while you're like watching yourself say the weather. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh we're in for some inclement weather in my ass. Um, I mean, it, yeah, the dude I'm seeing is going to come over here in a little bit. I wonder if I can get him to bang while we listen to the podcast. That's the same thing, right? Please don't. If you, I don't know. It got personal, and I started hating it. And please don't. Okay, great. Or don't tell me about it. Please pretend like you don't. I, I know. <laughs> um. Yeah. So did we do it? I don't know. We did it. We did it. We talked about flight attendants. Yeah. We talked about HIV AIDS. So it's a feel good episode. <laughs> <laughs> Should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. Um, and order something off the cart. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> let's take a break. Break. This is the part where Mike and Kyle take a break. Are we back? We're back. 
We're back. <laughs> We're going to do our gays and straightest. We're going to do our gays and straightest, but first, our website is gayishpodcast.com. We are on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Discord, at gayishpodcast. Our hotline, you can send us text messages or leave us voicemails, especially if they're for my mom, who wants to answer your questions and give you advice that you need in your life. Mm-hmm. It's 5855-GAYISH. That's 585-542-9474. Standard rate supply. Our email is gayishpodcast at gmail.com. And our physical mailing address is post office box 19882, Seattle, Washington, 98109. And we got a thing. Ooh, we got a thing? Yep. It's from Joe in Dallas. I don't know what's in Ooh, it. Ooh, Joe in Dallas. When'd you yeah. get us? Thanks, Joe. Uh, hi, Mike and Kyle. Hope this little bit of happy finds you all doing well. This is a product of being overworked over the holiday season, and I apologize for these not getting to you sooner. I tried to label what I could, and what I didn't get a label, and what didn't get a label, well, you can figure it out. <laughs> Smiley face. Hmm. Happy 2022. I hope this year is a little bit better than the last and brings you even more success and happiness. Heart, Joe in Dallas. Ah. That's hand Who does handwriting? Oh, nice handwriting too. I had no idea. This is a jock strap <laughs> from Mr. Jocks. We give you receive. This is someone who knows what they're doing. Mr. Brownie, chocolate brownie. Ooh, rich, fudgy, delicious, just like my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Mad Monkey Ultra Vibrating Pleasure Ring by Beastie Toys. <laughs> what the fuck? It's got a face. It's got a monkey face. Oops. My eyes light up. Cocoa dusted truffles. Oh, Kyle. His eyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But you put your dick in there? Uh, through the, I mean, through the hole. But I guess the monkey's looking at you the whole time. Like, <laughs> okay. Wow. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. So, That's mu- so much things. So much things to eat. <laughs> Meaning the jockstrap that highlights my ass. I'm not doing keto right this second, so I'm going to eat this truffle. Oh, yeah. Do that on the podcast. That's fun. <laughs> it's real good and now talk <laughs> it's real good oh we're hiring we're hiring we have a job description at gayishpodcast.com slash jobs uh but we are accepting applications for our new production assistant through may the 15th so if you're thinking about it that's how long you have to impress us yeah uh gay straightest mr gay and straightest gay and straightest is sponsored by spaces oh yeah spaces it's a space <laughs> For says uh it's a space for niche queer communities you can download it on the app store by hornet okay the straightest thing about me this week uh was last night at easter saturday my family celebrates easter saturday and it's a big old drunken affair and it's very large you've been mm-hmm. like it's like 60 it's a lot. people it's like a massive just yeah. horde of people i'm related to probably yeah. it's weird <laughs> but uh uh, the straightest thing about me this week is doing shots with my cousins. It's like it's just so broy, like pouring pouring shots and handing out shots, and then everybody takes shots, and then everybody like like yeah, like walking around high like, fives. Like I, it's just it's, you're like grandma gave me a shot or or something. Like yeah, yeah. like you're just like what? Yeah, it's just very. It's a very straight affair. And then like, the other thing is like there's this weird pressure of like like whatever we're shooting, I have to shoot it. Like I don't want to be the gay guy that's like, mm. no, I don't do that. Eh. So like, What were they? Do you know? It was rumplements. It was fine. It was oh, okay. peppermint schnapps, okay. but um still. Yeah. Then the gayest thing about me this week 
was drinking gayish beer at my family reunion. You did? <laughs> yeah. I, oh my god! I took a bunch of gayish beers. I'm walking around like all my like redneck relatives are like seeing me with this gay ass can of beer. It was amazing. Did uh, did anyone else have one? I or was g- it just? For, did you bring it just for you? No, I gave some. I gave a. I, I gave. I gave a pack of them to my brother, and I gave a oh. pack of them to Ma Johnson, and then I I had one for me, and I drank it. Nice. Yeah. How about um, you? Uh, my gayest is my hairstylist taught me to use mascara and eyeshadow. Yeah. So getting in on the makeup train. Choo choo. Yeah. Um, Carly approved of of your your like brand choices for she said it was high-end shit yeah i i it's very nice to have uh tiffany from uh the app makeover episode is my hairstylist and i just do what she says and it's great that's what yeah. i need in, in my life so she was like i'll you know here's what you should get and i got it um my straightest is i hosted our D group at my place mm-hmm. um and i don't cook so i ordered pizza for everyone yeah everyone else like makes fancy shit or does shit and i ordered pizza for everyone i'm not that kind of gay that does the fancy hosting things yeah. so that salad was real good though. oh was it good yeah. um yeah it's real good uh, this week, we're going to start a new thing that we're calling Fill in the Spaces. <laughs> and what we want you to do is give us a creative answer to this prompt and put it in our space on spaces. This week, it's when Kyle goes to blank, he always brings his blank. <laughs> <laughs> Fill in the spaces. <laughs> So uh, join the gayish space on Spaces. You can find the Spaces app by uh, on your iPhone downloading. You can type in queer spaces or hornet spaces uh, to find the right one. And uh, I'm there. Thank you to everyone who's joined and downloaded. Um, <laughs> we will post that prompt and <laughs> see, I will see what I get. <laughs> Anxiously and nervously waiting. And I am not in there. So if you... Like, I hope people talk about me. That's all I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I, I won't see it. You won't see it. And I won't tell you. Right. Unless I tell them, I'll tell you. Anyway. Um, Is that it? I think that's it. Thank you to all the gay flight attendants in the world. Yeah. Thank you. Th- thank you to the the first flight attendant who is maybe gay for surviving two crashes in a balloon. Yeah. Uh, thank you to Pigeon Zero who got on Barely Blamed. Thank you to the flight attendants who fuck me. You're the best ones that I can think of. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And thank you to the following. Super Gap Bridgers, Josh Copeland, Forrest Nail, Patrick Martin, Magnonymous, James Barrow, Steve Douglas, Explosive Lasagna, Christopher Farrell, Jamie Pugh, Kevin Henderson, Tipsy McStumbles, Donald Linsky, Thomas B., Dusty Sands, A.E. Coleman, Chris Ketchatorian, and Jerome York. Well, that's it. This has been Gayish from the Chris Ketchatorian Studios. I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz. Until next week, be butch, be fabulous, be you. See you on the skies. Yeah. Yeah. I need to blow my nose. Do it. Is that code for anything? Nose blast yourself.